Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Alrighty, hello everyone, and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. Today we have a, a founder, you know, that he's done it all. You know, he's done it uh, multiple times. He's built unicorn companies, and uh, now he's really, you know, after reflecting on his uh, career as a very um, successful founder, he's now, you know, giving back. You know, really investing and helping other founders as well. So we're gonna go through everything. I think that you're gonna find this episode very inspiring. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest today. Boris Manhart, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Alejandro. It's great to be here. Thanks a lot. So originally born right outside of Zurich. So give us a walk through memory lane. How was life growing up? Well, uh, imagine a huge playground, lots of green, um, lakes, forests, uh, mountain view, and that close to, to the city of Zurich. So um, it was great. It was great growing up here. My parents were teachers, um, so they had a lot of time. We traveled a lot in Europe. Um, so, um, yeah, I really like to, to grow up here and actually move back. So I live again here close to my mother's house. So my kids, uh, grew up the same way as I did. So eventually you went to the university of Zurich too, uh, and you got into psychology out of all things. Why psychology? Uh, probably I, I wanted to understand myself a little better. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I remember that, you know, especially as a kid, I was always a little bit different and, um, I always had this very kind of feel like free spirit uh, is probably something that led me into this um, entrepreneurial career I don't know afterwards but um, but I guess like many others you know like you basically try to treat yourself and go into psychology right but anyway um, I remember like the first day I was sitting there I asked myself the same question so I, I really couldn't imagine doing this for the next five years so what I did basically at the university I well, I worked on one hand, so I worked as a waiter. Um, so I did a lot of night shifts and um, I liked to go out, you know, did a lot of clubbing. And that, by coincidence, actually led me to my first venture. So uh, you can imagine as a, as a young um, um, student, you don't have the money to go out every night or at least a couple of times a week, right? You don't have to, to, the money to pay the drinks and so forth. But they wouldn't even let you enter at the clubs. So um, what we did is uh, we created this website. It's called Pulp back then. And um, we went into the clubs, took pictures of the party crowd, and put them the next day on this website. And imagine it was, this was really the early, at the early um, days of internet. This was the mid-90s, 96 probably, something like that. And, um, well, it got a little traction, so people would go on the website. Um, it was all pre-social media, right? So uh, they really liked um, basically seeing themselves on the, on, the, on the website somewhere. And um, we did this for a couple of years. So we always went to the clubs, took pictures, put it on the website, and, and people would come. And probably we grew that to, let's say, let's say a couple of thousand users. It wasn't a lot, right? So, but back then, it was enough. Uh, we were lucky enough to, to actually sell it then to a big corporate. And uh, they were interested in using that for advertising. How old were you at that time? I was around um, 20, 
in my early 20s. I mean, it's pretty wild to uh, be at that age and doing a transaction with Unilever. So how did the whole thing with Unilever you know, happen? How did they come knocking? Well, they had this brand called Axe. I don't know if you know that, but it's a, it's a deodorant brand. And um, they were focusing on the party scene, right? And they thought it's a great idea to, to have something like, like something we did. And um, so they basically um, um, purchased the, the website and, and helped us as well then to start the next venture, which, which was iMedia. Um, a online agency, right? So together with basically the first customer, we we started our own on, online agency. Then, after what that. would you say that uh, you know, being able to do first company, first exit, doing a transaction with someone like Unilever, what what kind of visibility do you think that that gave you into the whole fundraising process? I mean, fundraising process, the life cycle more than fundraising process, the life cycle of you know starting, building, scaling, and exiting. Alejandro, I really have to admit that at this stage, we didn't even consider the thing we did as a startup, right? So it was more a project. It was really for fun. Yeah. And uh, we sold it by coincidence. So with that transaction, I actually got into business, right? So everything before was just, um, let's say, side hustle. Um, it was really about partying. It was really about getting into those clubs. And then it became serious. Because we suddenly had this big customer, we had to deliver, and um, I honestly, I was very young at this stage and was probably not ready to really lead a company and and you know build a a team and so forth, right? So I was struggling a lot at this at this uh, stage, and the other thing what happened, you know, you still remember, you know, then pretty we were pretty close to the whole burst of the internet bubble. So basically, that happened when we started our company, our internet company, right? And um, we actually were acquiring other customers. So we had a hard start. And this was, you know, like basically my first, um, I would say, steps into the business world. And um, yeah, it wasn't easy back then. So obviously, after this, you started the ad agency. So I guess, uh, you know, the ad agency, what kind of, um, you know, learnings did you get from, because I find that there's a lot of companies that build the stuff and they are hoping that people will come. I think as, as you were doing the ad agency, you know, I'm sure that that gave you further insights into building distribution, you know, getting the right type of channels, right. You know, to be able to get more people in the door, you know, at the best day possible price, what kind of insights did you get from, from, from doing that? I think that's right. That's a, it's a, it's a very good question, Alejandro. I think, um, it helped me to understand the whole acquisition part as well, because I was doing that for different brands. And, you know, I just mentioned, you know, the, the internet bubble bursted and we had a tough start basically, but we got some traction. So we acquired customers like Microsoft, Nestle, um, Saab, BMW. So we had really good big brands basically working from them. And um, I think, um, you know, one of the learnings is really how to attract people um, to to do something, right? So just, you know, like how to acquire customers out there, how to find right customers, basically. And that this is something I learned before I started, you know, basically bigger venture. So this is something that really helped me. And the other thing I would say, um, it gave me some, I would say, tough lesson, lessons on uh, um, um, leadership because um, I just got into that. 
right? So it wasn't prepared to really the company to work with um, the whole team and so forth. I remember I was really a bad leader. I was a micromanager. I did everything on, on, on my own, basically, right? And my understanding of leadership was that I have to be better than the others, right? And this is something I, I learned. That's probably the biggest lesson I, I got from this, this area is what is actually leadership? You know, like what is kind of empowering others instead of just doing it on your own or, doing, or try to doing it better and really working with great people with great talent. I mean, no, no, no kidding, because that obviously was a really nice segue into the fintech incubator that you did. So obviously at that point now, it was more about taking a look at teams and, and, and putting them, you know, with the right type of capital and, and the right, perhaps, you know, product market fit too. So how, how did you really uh, think or, or, or what did you get from seeing all the key ingredients, you know, that are necessary for a startup to thrive? I mean, what were some of those ingredients that were critical for, for something to really be magical? Yeah. So uh, you mentioned already, like, uh, product market fit is extremely important. And um, I, I cannot, you know, like, uh, say how much it actually matters. It's the most crucial point you need to achieve to become successful, basically. And what does product market fit mean? Um, it means building something your customers actually want. And this is something lots of people misunderstand, right? So lots of people actually start just building something what they think customers would like or what they like, basically. And um, I see it uh, very much actually happening in Europe, probably more than in the US, that um, lots of founders just build, right? So to start with, with the product vision, create something, and then they just put it out on the market. And then at this time, they realize there's probably no market for it or the, the, the product should be totally different, right? And um, to prevent that, I think it's super important to really go deep when it comes to um, understanding your customer, understanding their problems before you even start building. And I would say, I would say this is one of the most crucial topics, um, 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 which is something I failed as well in my career in, in, kind of a, in many different phases. And it's hard to not just focus on building because um, all founders, and I assume you as well, Alhan, you know what I mean. We're builders, right? We want to create something. We're not market researchers. It's probably not the, the nicest part of our work to always talk to people or do um, um, really kind of like reading all uh, studies and whatever on the internet. So we want to build something, we want to create something. So it's it's a hard part, but it's necessary. So one of the things that came out, you know, from this experience too, and it was a really nice uh, segue to it as well, was numbers. Uh, probably one of the biggest uh, companies that you've done, a company that ended up uh, becoming a unicorn. So how did the whole idea of numbers uh, come together, you know, with the team and and how do you guys bring it to life? Well, it's, a, it's an interesting story. Uh, this was actually right um, after I left Amedia, I got an offer from from the original founder of um, Numbers, or at this stage, it was Central Wave. Um, so basically, it was um, a fintech incubator, a company builder. And um, he just acquired or merged with an agency, right? So basically, my first job was to restructure this agency and uh, build a team that is able to create ventures, right? 
But we had this agency, and this agency was in very bad shape. We still had customers at this stage, and we didn't want to work for customers. We wanted to work for our own ventures, basically. So my uh, jo job was actually, which was a pretty funny thing. I had to get rid of the customers, right? So, um, and that meant, you know, I had to basically um, fix the projects and deliver what we, what they were expecting. So another agency could take over or basically the projects were ready for them to, to, to start. Right. Um, so um, that was the first phase of the whole thing. And then um, after that, we started with, um, I guess, two or three projects. Um, I remember one was in insurances and the other was numbers. And the idea of numbers was, was to merge or was to aggregate different um, bank accounts. And imagine at this stage, it was, this was around 2012, there was no mobile banking around. So this was pre-mobile banking. And so we created the, actually the first mobile bank, but um, a bank that, or basically a mobile banking app that could aggregate all different banks. So it doesn't matter if it was Deutsche Bank or, or, or uh, Postbank or whatever. So you could just use all the accounts you had. It would give you recommendations and a great overview over your spendings. So that was the basic idea, and it got a lot of traction, especially from the investor side. And I imagine um, it was a, a really interesting time because uh, at this in this time, uh, imagine Switzerland was still the center of banking, right? Um, and we pitched to like the, those you know big guys of, of of banking, the big executives back then. Um, this was a very interesting experience because I never had contact with people like that, right? And, uh, and I started pitching to them with, together with the, with, the, with the founder, Martin. And I would say he's probably the best salesperson I've ever met. And learning from him was, was great, right? So it gave me a lot, actually, to pitch to these guys where I obviously had a lot of respect. Um, you know, you saw, you saw them in the newspapers and so forth, but together with him, he was super brave. He was really didn't, wasn't fearing anything. So, um, so it's great to learn from him. And, um, I did this for not such a long time as I guess I stayed less than two years at, uh, numbers, but, um, they continue and then they, they made it uh, a unicorn. So I guess they raised around, uh, 120 or 130 million in, in total. And what was the journey there of raising the money? You know, how do you guys get started and, and what were the financing cycles like? But at the beginning, it was really like just, um, you know, reaching out to, to all those um, finance guys. So we had a focus on angel investors at the beginning. And then obviously it became more institutional after a while. Um, we had as well investors like um, big, uh, media media. Um, um company in germany and so forth so that different kinds of investors and it wasn't the same landscape that it is today so you, today you have lots of vcs right it's pretty clear who to talk to but at this stage it wasn't that clear right so we had to figure out so who's the right um fit for for such a topic so we really start with um fin, fin finance professionals basically so at the peak of the valuation, what was the valuation of the company? It was one billion. It was billion, a straight eh? one billion. Yeah. 
That's amazing and for being in Europe. You know, being able to achieve that is is really remarkable. Hey guys, so pardon the interruption here. So I got to tell you that you know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard. And already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So I remember, you know, back then when I was an entrepreneur, I kept really experiencing the challenge of either knowing or finding the right type of access to the right type of investors or really understanding what was the right type of guidance, you know, that would carry me through the process, whether it was with seeking money or with going through the acquisition. So that gap that I found being an entrepreneur is ultimately what pushed me later on when I met my co-founder at Pantera, Mike Sieversen, to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a series A stage, or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid cap type of um, a cycle. So again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com, and we would love to take a look at helping you out. Eventually, you know, like what you did is you moved on to become the CEO of Kochik. And, uh, you know, you were there is uh, you guys were leading sustainability in the uh, in shopping, you know, basically in shopping around shopping apps, no? Exactly. So uh, Kochik was an amazing experience. Um, Again, imagine this was um, 2014, and now we have tons of impact investors, and sustainability is a big topic, right? So uh, it's not just a topic anymore, it's a need. But at this stage, it was very niche And I remember, you know, like, I after um, numbers, I took some time off, and I helped my life to um, start a, a, a cosmetic brand. We were focused on natural cosmetics. In the, in the luxury segment. And during my research, I stepped over this website, Kojak. I did a lot of research. I got back on this website all the time. Um, back then, it was more like an MEP, right? So uh, the website looked quite basic, and um, but it was enough for me. And I remember it one day, they um, put a job ad, a job ad on the website, and they were searching for a partner. So I thought, that's actually pride quite interesting because I was seeking for something with, I would say, more meaningful, right? And um, I, I called them up and we had a couple of meetings and um, after yeah, as well meeting their first investors, um, I started as first as a managing partner and then a CEO. And this was kind of a journey because at the beginning we were a small, um, small community, basically, right? There were a lot, some, some, uh, some um, consumers that, you know, wanted to know what's in their products. We focused mainly, mainly on cosmetics and, and food. And the app basically would, you know, like tell you what's inside, right? If you basically scan uh, the barcode of a product, it would give you all information on ingredients. So that, that was the case of Kojak. And um, during the years, 
it grew to, I would say, really go to shopping app in the German-speaking markets. So we had around, at its peak, probably four to five million active users in a market of 100 million total people, right? So uh, it was, 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 was quite big, actually. We were a couple of times the most downloaded app in, in Germany. And uh, that includes uh, Facebook and Google and so forth. Um, so it was, was, a, was a great journey, a really interesting journey, but um, but was really different to, to numbers and the whole fintech sector. Like the whole fundraising was super tough, right? So, um, you know, like we didn't have a real business. It was, was really just more an impact idea and we had to create the business around that. So then at what point, you know, do you decide it's time to uh, make a switch here? During the pandemic, um, when we really had challenges, right? And I realized more and more that, you know, like uh, we didn't really achieve product market fit at this stage. We had lots of traction, but the willingness to pay from our um, consumers or from our users wasn't big enough. Um, we tried it with, um, you know, like B2B and then this didn't work uh, as well. So we couldn't really create a sustainable business model. And I tried a lot. I tried many different things. And after a while, I just said, you know, I don't have any ideas anymore. So let's let's bring in new people, right? So and I left and new people took over and they, they tried uh, as well. Um, and after that, I basically started um, reflecting on what I was missing. And that's basically where I started with um, my, my new venture, which is Growth Unlimited, right? So let's talk about that because obviously Growth Unlimited, you know, is the uh, result of um, you doing your reflection about your entrepreneurial journey, you know, taking a look at the, you know, all the different um, companies that you were involved with, the companies that you saw, the companies that you helped. So how did Growth Unlimited come together and, and what are you guys doing there? It was, again, it was, it was basically a coincidence because at the beginning, you know, I really started reflecting on my career, right? I guess I wrote everything down. It was became like 150 pages or so. I never published it, I have to admit, but <laughs> I could publish it. So a book on, um, on um, venture building, basically. And I guess I detected two main areas where I could have needed more support. And one was methodologies and frameworks. Right? You can take um, OKRs or whatever, right? This always takes a lot of time to implement. You start with something that this is a startup. You don't have the money to get consultants, so you just do it, right? And then you start iterating. And especially when it comes to OKRs, this can take ages. Like probably you need four iterations. That's a year. It's not. I'm not talking about weeks. I'm talking about a year, right? So you're losing a lot of time on stuff that actually doesn't add value to the whole thing, right? Doesn't lead you to your goals. And um, this is something where where I see, you know, it's super important to get help from someone that actually knows it from the beginning to just implement it right from the start, do it right, understand it. And the other thing is this typical operational jungle that you get in as a founder. Doesn't matter which, which stage of the company. It's the same at the beginning. I mean, when you start something new, you suddenly have so many hats on, right? So basically, you're 
the designer, your engineer, your psychologist, whatever, right? So you have to do things that you never thought of doing, right? And nobody just, um, you know, like can do this from scratch. Nobody's born with all those things, right? Or just study years for to to learn psychology, to learn design. But uh, you just have to do it immediately. And I guess here, founders naturally need some help and as well need someone by their sides to, you know, like just sometimes get back on track. Because what what happens, you know, getting this, this jungle, you don't know where to go anymore, where to head anymore. And um, someone having someone by his side, okay, take it just, you know, a little, build a little bit outside of this jungle and tell you, okay, now focus on that, only on that, right? So that is very helpful. Nobody's you have the boards, you probably have an advisory board, but it's always something where you have to seek for advice. But you don't have this person just by your side that really tells you, okay, now you need something different. You need to, something to, you need to focus on something differently. And that's basically the main idea of Growth Unlimited is really to be this person to help founders to find the right track, to find focus, and to do this in a very structured way as well, right? And what's the we, cycle that you guys would you, you would typically look at? Is it the pre-seed, seed, series A? Where do you typically like to come in? We even start earlier, and that's probably a big issue in Europe. I think, you know, like when it comes to the U.S., you have very early investors. But usually in Europe, um, you need to prove a little bit more, right? So there are some VCs that you know, jump in in, in pre-seed or seed stage, but there's nothing before. So we basically, we really like to work with founders with just an idea. So really at the beginning, so before they have the product, before um, they've done you know, lots of things wrong, right? And do all the iterations. So really want to help them and to guide them and do this in fast pace. Because I strongly believe that you can reach product market fit within a couple of months. You don't need to do this within years, right? So you can achieve this much faster, but obviously you need um, to know what you do and need, need to know the steps, right? And this is where we jump in. So then I guess, uh, as, as let's say, you're looking at all these different companies, what is typically the biggest um, issue or the repeating pattern that you see on on the thing that they're lacking the most is it product market fit exactly i mean the the biggest issue is just building without uh, understanding the customer so really creating something um for more for you than for someone else right and i guess that's um, a very common trap lots of founders actually fall in right so they 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 create their vision and they don't really check if there's a market for it. They don't really understand the customer's needs before that. And I guess here, you should really go deep. You, do, you have to do your homework before you start building something. And how do you go deep? How do you go deep to really make sure that you get the customer, that you're not building based on assumptions, that you're building based on data? Absolutely. I mean, you need to have assumption at the beginning, right? Already, the market is an assumption. But then you need to to start doing research. There's a lot of research out there already, so you don't need to start from scratch, right? Um, but anyway, I mean, you need to talk to your customer. You need to find 
about their pains. And that's only something you can you can find out when you when you do a lot of interviews, basically at the beginning. So um, one thing where I usually start with is really kind of writing down what's the most attractive market to start with. I'm not talking about attractive in terms of market size. Obviously, that's that's something you need to know, right? But then you need to really understand, okay, what's my niche where I want to start? And and then basically, it's all about talking to people, you know, inside of this niche and find out how you can serve them. And already here, lots of, um, and here basically already the struggle start because um, you don't know how to conduct interviews, right? As a founder, you don't train with conducting interviews. So basically what I often see is that founders sell their vision. So instead of an interview, they do a sales pitch. But you should always start with the problem of your customers and understand the problems first and then create the solution. So it's really about your customers tell you about their struggles, about their problems, and not you tell them about your solution, basically. Mm. Yeah, I like that because because one of the things too that they, that I found is founders, when they are speaking with customers too, they and they're trying to get some data from them, you got instead of like giving them too much guidance on their responses, is basically making open-ended questions so that you can just let them go. No? Exactly, exactly. I think, you know, the especially when it comes to interviews, the challenge is more like leading um, your interview in a direction of the topic you want to hear about, right? But nothing more. So you just you just you just guide them there, but you don't know you don't kind of push them into a certain um, answer, right? So you just want to hear them talk, basically. So one good thing is you can really ask them about their journey in X or Y. Right. So just, yeah. you know, how do you how, how do you interact with, um, I don't know, healthcare, Right. And, and just listen, basically write everything down. And honestly, um, Alejandro, I've never seen a startup doing this really well. So I always start with looking into the data when I start working with uh, founders. And usually and everybody says, OK, I do the interviews. I have my data. But when you when you look into the data, it's just not really valid. It doesn't just doesn't bring you anything, right? It gives yeah. you false positive or negatives. So so let me let me ask you this. Let's say I was to put you into a time machine and I bring you back in time. Maybe to the time that you were coming out of University of Zurich and you were doing your psychology degree. And let's say you now have the time to have a sit down with that younger self, that younger Boris, and you're able to give your younger self right before going at it as an entrepreneur, one piece of advice before launching a business, what would that be and why, given what you know now? Well, that's, that's your start really early, right? So, uh, well, I mean, one of, uh, I would say it's probably two different advices, so two different areas. One is uh, the professional area and one is more the personal area, right? So when it comes to business, um, always I would say, okay, go really deep when it comes to product marketing. And um, don't start scaling because you have true product market fit. Um, you know, it happened that I had to let go a whole sales team because I wasn't able to build a scalable sales playbook for them, right? 
So what worked for me as a founder, and as a founder, you have all the information, right? So it's much easier to sell than for a sales uh, representative, right? So it's different. So you need to, to be able to brief them, to give, you, give them the tools to be able to, to sell. So I had to let them go. And they were obviously very pissed at me, right? So, and it was all my mistake. I knew it. And um, this is not necessary. So basically, really go deep, understand before all the processes you need to understand it, then start, you know, scaling, then start hiring and so forth. So that's an important thing. And then as well, and what I mentioned, you know, about leadership, um, really understanding leadership, understand that leadership is about, um, I would say, um, supporting others, creating an environment where others can thrive, where can be their best um, 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 or, or, you know, really, really kind of um, and be productive um, and give them the freedom as well but align them on the goals, right? Um, I mentioned OKRs, for example. And the other, the other thing is um, a very personal topic, right? So um, I have to say, uh, like, this year was one of the hardest for me. Um, my wife got diagnosed with cancer at the beginning of this year. And she went through all the treatments. Um, she got um, um, chemotherapy, immunotherapy. And nothing worked. Right? She's now at home. I'm, I'm, I'm taking care of her. Um, but, you know, looking back and really thinking of the time I spent in the office, I spent chasing my dreams, I spent, you know, creating the next unicorn, whatever, um, and not being at home, not being with my loved ones. This is something I really definitely would change and advise the younger me that what really matters is spending time with your loved ones, spending time with your family, um, having this, you know, good balance of um, um, career, being professionals, always, obviously, but as well of being with, you, with your loved ones and talking really about family and friends, right? So people that really matter to you. Another thing as well um, is about taking care of yourself, right? My wife always said, you know, um, what matters most is health. And obviously everybody says yes, but you only know what health actually means when you don't have it anymore, right? So it's super important as well to take care about yourself, to do whatever sports, meditation, or whatever is, is good for you, right? But take time for yourself as well um, wow. during this whole journey. This is uh, so profound, Boris. And, uh, and I think that you're hitting, you know, the nail on the head. You know, I think that, Founders typically, you know, they just they just tend to leave everything, you know, to the side and just 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 keep going, like the hustling, no mentality that exactly. people would talk about. And 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 I think you're so right because at the end of the day, you know, uh, memories is everything that we're going to be taking with us. And companies, you know, come and go, but ultimately, True. your family and friends, you know, is is really what make what make us, you know, who we are. No, and there was even a study of Harvard that talked about happiness and joy and how ultimately your social points was increasing uh, that uh, that well-being. So, Boris, I am very grateful that you joined us. Uh, obviously, wishing your wife as well the best, you know, and, and, and a fast thank recovery. And, uh, and I just want to thank you on behalf of the listeners and also myself, you know, for, for giving us the honor of, of, of coming on the show and sharing your journey. So thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today.
Thank you so much, Alejandro. It's a pleasure. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.